Thank you for listening today. We hope that this message from God's Word will help you to grow in your knowledge of God and your relationship with Him. At Lucy Baptist Church, we are fully committed to loving God, loving people, and making disciples. Now here's today's message. Our scripture reading today will be in uh, Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. It is for this... I won't hold on, I'm going to stop for a second. Is everyone there? Probably. Okay. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are ill-limited children, not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and... We respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for a short time, as it has seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We continue in our series of messages from the book of Hebrews, and this is a second part to this text relating to God's discipline in our lives, and from this text this morning that Brandon has read, we'll bring a message entitled, How to Respond to God's Loving Discipline, and let's join our hearts in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we've had to be together as your people uh, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of experiencing what, what your word says as we, as we worship you in spirit and in truth, as we, we sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord, and we admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And Father, we pray now that you will take this time that we have to look into the word together as your church. We thank you for not only inspiring the word of God, but we thank you for also giving each of us, as your children, uh, the Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you indwell us as our teacher. And so now we wait upon you as we look to the word together. We pray that you will again make every thought captive this morning, that we will not be distracted or hindered in our hearts and minds, uh, but we will listen to you and to your voice, not only through through the word that has been read and the word that is Proclaim today, but also by the work of your spirit to teach us what your word means today and Lord to make personal application to our lives. We thank you that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we wait upon you today to work in our hearts and to change our lives and give us specific understanding today about your discipline in our lives. We want to thank you in advance for giving us discipline, for teaching us through the through uh, suffering and the various trials of life, through persecution. Lord, that all of these things are part of your discipline in our lives to further conform us to the image of Jesus. We know you're not finished with a single one of us today in this room. So thank you. And we ask that you work also in the hearts of that this morning of those who are unbelievers. While this message is directed to your church, we pray that those who are not believers will recognize their need for Christ 
and to come to understand the joy of being a child of God, knowing that you love us, you discipline us, and everything that happens in our lives, you have a purpose that they would recognize their need for Christ and be drawn to Jesus today. Be glorified in all that's said and done today to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. Well, I enjoyed being with our children this week in vacation Bible school, and um, I enjoyed singing with them this morning. I really did try at those motions, but I'm not real coordinated, and so it's kind of hard for me to get the words and the motions going at the same time. But I want to share with uh, uh, this morning uh, an incident that happened in my life when I was a, a child. I've shared it with you before. Some of you perhaps haven't heard it. But when I was a, a very young boy, probably the age of some of these, uh, some of these children, uh, my neighbor Jeff and I decided uh, that we were going to throw rocks. And, uh, you know, we, we, but we never intended to throw rocks at the cars coming down Highway 119 in front of my house. Uh, we were trying to throw the rocks over the cars that were coming down the highway. Uh, and I don't know to this day which one of us uh, didn't quite throw high enough, but one of our rocks didn't make it over the top of a car. And in fact, I can still remember, I, uh, it was a long time ago, I showed Karen a car yesterday that kind of looked like that old 50-something, early 50-something model black uh, Chevrolet, I think it was, and I can still remember those brakes uh, and those tires screeching as the car came to a stop. Well, you know, what would you have done? Well, Jeff and I ran as fast as we could, and uh, obviously the man came to my uh, door, our door, and um, uh, I assume, and my dad paid him uh, for what he thought the window uh, was worth, and then. Uh, it came a reckoning time. My dad found me, uh, and uh, I got a spanking that day that I never forgot. Not only forgot, didn't forget that experience of throwing rocks, uh, but I remember that spanking. It was, a, it was a painful reminder, and I learned some painful lessons that day. I learned, one, uh, not to throw rocks anywhere around cars. Uh, I also learned that uh, when you've done wrong, running is not the right thing to do. And, uh, and so uh, I learned some painful lessons. And we're looking uh, from this passage about, uh, about, about discipline, about God's discipline from, for us as his children. And, and uh, again, this passage teaches us how we should respond to God's discipline as his children. If you remember last Sunday in, in the first uh, verses there, verses 3 through 6, we considered uh, that not all discipline is for the purpose of correction. That's typically what we think of when we think of, of discipline. But discipline is for our correction, yes, but it can also be for, uh, for prevention, to prevent us from sin. We use some examples of that from Paul, formation or spiritual growth. God uses discipline in our life to grow us in Christ's likeness. We gave Job as an example of that. And exaltation. God will allow uh, discipline in our lives and, and suffering in our lives so, again, that we can give, he can be exalted through those things. We gave Paul as an example um, of that. And so, again, discipline is, is something that God administers through his loving hand. So I want us to consider from these verses today again, um, again, and we're going to focus on five ways that we respond correctly 
to God's discipline in our life. So notice those with me, if you will. The first one is to recognize that through discipline, God is teaching you endurance. We see that in the very first part there of verse uh, number seven. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Uh, Kent Hughes says that the word discipline here comes from a word which generally means to teach or instruct as one would a child. It signifies discipline for the purpose of education. Again, discipline is for the purpose of education. And he's telling us here that God is teaching us endurance through discipline. Again, endure means literally to remain under and uh, it, the idea here again is continual. The verb is a continual verb, uh, continuously enduring. Phil Newton says that endurance keeps us walking in the will of God and focuses upon the big picture of what Christ is doing in our lives. So when we're undergoing discipline and, 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 and this understanding that, that all types, uh, there are various kinds of discipline, we're all going through some kind of training, aren't we? We're all being trained continuously. As believers, there's no time that God is not disciplining us, that God is not training us. And so again, we should, our first response when we're going through a trial of suffering, uh, whatever type of discipline it may be, that the purpose for this is this is God's appointed means to bring us into spiritual maturity. And when we, we say spiritual maturity, remember that means to grow toward Christ's likeness. The biblical word for that is sanctification. God is growing us into Christ's likeness. And so that is how we must recognize this is the purpose of that. Uh, David said in Psalm 119, 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. He said in, in verse 71 of Psalm 119, it is good for me that I was afflicted that I may learn your statutes. And James uh, wrote in James 1, 2, and 4, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's the word endurance again. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So again, discipline is absolutely essential toward our growing in our endurance. So let me ask you this morning, or say to you first, that the right response to discipline and suffering increases our endurance. You think about a runner, they run, they, they train, and, and they're building up their endurance. Well, think of that, apply that to our spiritual lives. We are, God is building endurance into our lives through the suffering and the discipline that he allows into our lives. So I ask you today, do you see your spiritual endurance increasing? You know, as we grow older physically, then sometimes we may not have the same endurance. The wonderful thing about the spiritual life and our spiritual growth with Christ is that our endurance grows continuously. We, know, we don't arrive. We never get to where, uh, and, we don't, and we, we're not, God intends that we not back up, that we continue to grow in this area of our lives. So again, uh, as you think about that, recognize that through discipline, God is teaching you endurance. Second, Remember that through discipline, God affirms your sonship. Again, we see that in the second part of verse 7. We saw it in last week's passage. But he said, God is treating you 
as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. So again, as we saw back in verses 5 and 6, quoting there from from Proverbs, uh, he says, verse 6, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So we know that as parents, discipline is a part of our responsibility. Uh, It it comes uh, easier for some than for others. Uh, sometimes one parent may take on more than the other, uh, but again, uh, the father certainly should give leadership if there's a if there's a father uh, in the home. And uh, but again, uh, 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 he's saying to us in essence that that a loving human father would would uh, would not neglect discipline for his children. Proverbs thirteen thirteen twenty four says, "Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent." To discipline him. So the, the writer of Proverbs is giving that word and that truth to human fathers, and God is using this as an illustration to us to remind us that a loving father uh, in the home disciplines his children, and how true that is of our heavenly father. Uh, he, he says not to be disciplined by our, by our father, by God, would be an indication of being illegitimate, which meant, meant really to have no spiritual inheritance. It means not to be saved, is what he's describing here. And uh, so again, if you are not undergoing spiritual discipline in your life, then that is an indication, Scripture says here, that you're not born again, that you need to check up on uh, what you're calling perhaps salvation. Uh, again, one writer said, if you're going through great sufferings in your life and great trial, great discipline in your life, then uh, instead of, again, responding to that by chafing or by being uh, uh, you know, bitter or, or by reacting in the wrong spirit, treating it lightly as we saw in last week's passage, or being faint-hearted, giving up, No, instead of doing that, you know what you should consider yourself, he said? Consider yourself one of God's favorites. So maybe you might say today, you know, I realize I'm one of God's favorites. He loves me. He's proving my sonship uh, because of the discipline that he is bringing into, uh, into my life. Do you see that evidence in your life? Do you see the evidence of a relationship with Christ through his discipline taking place in your life, understanding the various kinds of discipline that God has in our lives. Uh, So again, uh, I'll share with you back to my original illustration. Uh, That day when I had uh, obviously done something I shouldn't have done and needed to be disciplined, um, my dad spanked me. Got a good spanking that day. But you know what didn't happen? My dad didn't spank Jeff. Uh, he didn't spank Jeff. Why didn't he spank Jeff? Because my dad was not Jeff's father. Uh, in fact, you know, years later, Jeff and I grew up in the same neighborhood. We lived in the same home, both of us, all of our lives. Years later, I think in high school, I said, Jeff, did you ever tell your, your parents about that incident that day? And he said, you know, no, I never did. So, uh, and I, my dad never told him. That was one mistake I think my dad made. He should have told Jeff's parents, let them discipline him. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, he didn't discipline Jeff because he wasn't a child. God disciplines us because we are his children. We are his responsibility. And he's in the purpose of teaching us and forming us. And so recognize that instead of, again, coming under that uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the wrong spirit, respond to it in gratitude that you're God's child. Can you today thank God? Can you thank him 
for his discipline in your life because it proves you are his child. And remember the word sonship, ladies, don't get offended by that. That's a word that spoke, it had relationship and connection to adoption, to the full adoption as sons with all the inheritance, all the rights. And as, as all believers, we are, we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We're joint heirs with Jesus. And so this is the aspect of our inheritance with him that he's describing here as a result. So God is through discipline affirming our sonship. Thirdly, in our response to him, respond in submission to your heavenly father's discipline, he says, so that you may live. He says that in verse number nine. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? Uh, You know, parents, um, uh, can you uh, remember having heard these words or maybe you said these words uh, to your children uh, as you were about to discipline them or as you were about to be disciplined, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Did you ever, did you ever think, well, I'll be happy to trade places with you, but no, you wouldn't have done that. You know, that wouldn't have been very wise, right? Uh, so, uh, but when we became parents, then we could understand, right? And, and you know, you think about that's human fathers, okay? Human parents, but our perfect heavenly father, it does hurt him to see his children have to go through pain. He, he uh, identifies with us in ways that parents can't. And, uh, and he is the perfect heavenly father. His, when his love, when discipline is administered in love, uh, then, then what happens? As a result of that, we learn to respect parental authority. We talked this week a lot about authority and, and, uh, and the, the, to the king, the Lord Jesus, and, and, and our heavenly father. Uh, and so children that don't have uh, discipline in their lives don't respect authority. Children who have the wrong kind of discipline, abuse, uh, and so forth in their lives, then they too rebel against authority. God is a loving heavenly father. And he's saying to us here and from the argument of the lesser to the greater, if we could respect our earthly fathers as imperfect as they are, how much more we should submit to our heavenly father who is perfect and right in all his ways. So we were, we we're to submit to him uh, again, rather than chafing under it or rebelling against his discipline and complaining about it. So why do we do that? How do we submit to the Father when we're going through discipline? Well, again, we, we'll, we'll see that more in other ways in a few moments, but, but we, uh, we certainly get into his word and we ask God to teach us through the, through the word as well as through the discipline about what he's doing. We have an attentive heart, a submissive heart, and, uh, and we, uh, we spend time with him in prayer and we ask him to teach us through that. We have a submissive, responsive spirit Rather than a rebellious or bitter spirit, we respond to him in, in what God is doing in our lives. And we let God teach us the lesson he's seeking to teach us. He says when we do this, what happens? He said, you will live. Now we know, of course, when we think about living, we, we think about the example we used last week. And we think about that today as we're participating in the Lord's Supper about the church in Corinth that, uh, that obviously rebelled against the Lord by misusing and abusing the Lord's Supper and also by mistreating members of their body, of the poor. And Paul says to them in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty two, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. 
So God disciplines us so that we not have to be condemned along with the world. So I do believe there's that aspect, but I believe really what he's talking here when he's talking about living as a result of, again, our proper response to God's discipline is that we are able to experience life to its fullest. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you, that they may have life and have it abundantly. William Plummer says it, this, this word live means to enjoy the smiles and favor of God, wearing his likeness. So are you responding to the discipline in your life? By the way, what discipline are you presently under right now? Again, whether it's correction or prevention or formation or exaltation, what discipline are you undergoing right now in your life? Then let me ask again, how are you responding? Are you responding in a spirit of submission? Are you letting God teach you what God's intending? Are you or are you treating it lightly? Are you rebelling? Or are you submitting? Think about that for a moment. But then number four, as we think about responding correctly, rely on God to discipline you for your good that you may share in his holiness. Look again at verse 10. For they discipline us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Again, continuing the argument from the lesser to the greater, contrasting earthly fathers to, to our heavenly father. He says they discipline us for a short time. Um, most of us probably came to a point in their lives when when maybe we didn't continue to get the same kind of discipline. Uh, we maybe, like I can remember as a teenager, for example, uh, disobeying my father's orders to come in at a certain time and was therefore grounded. And uh, that too was painful as a teenager, not being able to drive. And I remember that lesson and it helped me in the future uh, to get home when I was supposed to get home. Uh, so, but then there came a time when my relationship with my father changed, when I was no longer under my dad's authority. So my discipline of my father was for a short time. I have a word for us, brothers and sisters. We have some of us in here who are very young in Christ, some who've been knowing the Lord for a long time. But those who've been knowing the Lord for a long time can give this testimony today. God's discipline doesn't end, right? He keeps on disciplining us and in various ways. Teaching us, remember, that's what discipline means. He keeps on teaching us. And notice also that he says they discipline as it seemed best to them. Our parents, as we are as parents, are imperfect. We make mistakes. We may sometimes discipline a child who, when, when, and, and when it really was the brother or sister that should have gotten the discipline, right? You ever been in that experience? Or maybe we discipline, as we said last Sunday, too harshly. Or we discipline too leniently or not at all. So we're imperfect. Parents uh, do the best they can. Even Christian parents who are trying to follow the Lord's leadership. We fail. We make mistakes. Boys and girls, I'll just go ahead. and If, uh, if you didn't know that already, now you know. Parents are not perfect, right? And we fail. We make mistakes. But aren't you glad? We have a perfect heavenly father. He always disciplines us correctly and rightly. And we can trust him. His discipline is perfect. He knows and he sees not only outward behavior, he sees inward motive. 
And his discipline, he says here, is, is what? For our good. It's for our good. I think Romans 8, 28 helps us to be reminded of what that good is. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. He goes on to describe later in Romans 8 what that, what that is. It is for the being conformed to the likeness of Jesus. That is what our good is. It's to make us more like Jesus. So again, we must cooperate with him. Uh, and rely on him that his disciplines for our good. And what ultimately he says is that we may share in his holiness. Holiness, holiness, that's God's chief attribute. What does God say about that? God says about that in 1 Peter 1, 15. Peter says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. What if someone called you a holy person? How would you respond to that? We have a tendency to think about being holy as we sort of let that become a negative terminology. Oh, he's just holier than thou, or whatever. But to be called holy is what God says we're to be. We're to be like him. To be holy is to be set apart because that's what God is. God is holy. He's righteous in all his ways. And that's what God allows us. And notice the, what kind of holiness this is. Really, it's the only kind of holiness. You see, it's God's holiness. He lets us share in his holiness. You know why that is? Because in and of ourselves, we don't have any holiness, right? It has to be his holiness, and he lets us share in it. And so think of that, recognize that, rely on him. And as you're going through that trial in your life, as you're going through that suffering in your, in your life, as you're going through that discipline in your life, rely on God to bring that about, to be accomplishing his good in your life so that you might share in his holiness. None of us have arrived in that area either. Kent Hughes said, the most holy of us are those who have properly endured the most discipline. What a gift then discipline is. What a gift discipline is. And then number five, and finally, realize that the pain of discipline will later produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Verse 11, once again, he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The act of discipline is painful, isn't it? The experience of discipline is painful. I think it was uh, one child psychologist who said, you know, the the pain of the discipline must be greater than the, the pleasure of the sin. And so God allows us to go, if it's a corrective kind of discipline, it, it, God, God has to let that happen in our lives. And, and, uh, and we could say, as, we, as another saying, we say that, that when there's no pain, there's no gain. And that's certainly true uh, in, in this area as well. And that's what makes discipline memorable, isn't it? It's like a, but he, he, I believe the word he's describing here is it's like a seed that is sown. It does not bear fruit until some time later. He calls this the, the, the fruit 
uh, in verse 11, he says the, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Uh, this word fruit you may have in your Bible is another translation uh, renders this harvest. God brings forth a harvest uh, of righteousness, of peaceful fruit in our life. And uh, Newton, Phil Newton explains that the peaceful fruit is a metaphor that refers to the rest and satisfaction the athlete experiences when he trains and completes his contest. That's where he started in, in, in chapter 12, verse 1, with this running this race with endurance. And uh, the, the Christian life, as Paul described it in Philippians, in 1 Corinthians, is, a, is an endurance race. And the result of this is, a, is the practical outworking of righteousness in our lives. So again, remember, what you're, it's, it's painful now, but just look ahead to the harvest of fruit that God's going to bring into your life. And realize this is a seed that is sown, that God is sowing this in your life. And it, it, it may not be immediate fruit, but, but with time, God is going to bring this forth into your life. And so wait on the Lord and respond to the Lord in submission and endurance. Isaiah echoes this in Isaiah 32. And the effect of righteousness will be peace and the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. So brothers and sisters, if we want God to accomplish what he desires to accomplish in these trials, in this suffering, in this discipline in our lives, then we must respond appropriately in a biblical way, in the spirit of submission. Now let me say to you this morning, if you're here without Jesus, you may say, well, hey, I'm going through troubles too. I'm suffering too. I have problems. And you know that is one thing that is absolutely true. The one thing believers and unbelievers have in common is we all go through struggles, don't we? Uh, and that, that too goes back to the fall. That goes back to uh, sin that has entered the world. And as a result of that, there are, there are consequences to all sin and to, to just living in a sinful world, there are consequences as, as a result of our sin. But you know, the beautiful thing about the difference as a believer is we have the wonderful joy of knowing that God has a purpose that as we said last Sunday, he is sovereign. He is in control over every suffering, every trial, every form of discipline that he allows into our lives. And he's working it all together for our good so that he can make us more like Christ and so that we can know these, these wonderful blessings that God has promised to us. We can know the harvest of a peaceful fruit of, of righteousness coming into our lives in the future. God disciplined Paul, as we said last Sunday, by giving him a thorn in the flesh to prevent him becoming prideful. Paul said there in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 that he pleaded with the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord three times that he would remove this thorn in his flesh. And he said the Lord responded to him with these words, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul said, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul came to the place after pleading with the Lord to remove that thorn in the flesh. When God said no, then he said 
because of what God promised that he would do in his life, he could say, I can boast in my weaknesses. He said, I, I, I'm content with these things, the, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the calamities. Can you, can you say that today? Can you respond that way in submission to whatever discipline, whatever trials, whatever persecution, whatever hardships that God is allowing in your life because you know he's in control and he's working it together for good in your life? Will you respond that way? If you want to be able to maintain the joy of the Lord uh, regardless of the storm, dear friend, then that is exactly how we must respond to this that we all will encounter in our lives. Well, while God must lovingly discipline us, and he does as his children, you know what? There's a, a great consolation that I believe is true in Scripture, and that is this. He doesn't punish us anymore. God still disciplines us lovingly, and it may be painful, but he doesn't punish us. You say, why do you say that? Well, listen to what Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says. Prophesied about Jesus over 700 years before he died. It says of, of Jesus, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, the reason God doesn't punish us is because Jesus, as his children, Jesus has taken our punishment. He took our punishment on the cross. He took our chastisement upon the cross and through what he did for us, we are now healed. We are spiritually healed. We are his children. We're going to celebrate that in the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. And, and as we see the great demonstration of his love and of his grace. Have you responded to that? Have you recognized Jesus' love demonstrated at the cross? And, and recognized your sinfulness, your separation from God? And have you therefore uh, repented, turned from your sin, and placed your faith and trust in Jesus as, as your Lord? Can you, with confidence, say today, he's taken my punishment? If not, dear friend, I urge you today to consider the, the claims of Christ and consider the gospel. Consider Jesus and recognize his suffering on our behalf as sinners so that we don't have to be punished forever in a terrible place called hell. And that when he allows this suffering and brings this suffering into our lives, it, com it comes through his loving hand. In fact, James Smith wrote this, the rod which affects you, afflicts you is in the hand of Jesus. In that hand which was once bored and nailed to the cross for your redemption, in the hand of the friend who loves at all times and who is a brother born for adversity, will Jesus, who suffered, bled, and died to redeem you, ever hurt you? Surely not. His heart is too tender. His love is too great. This is Pastor David Lawrence. Thank you for listening to this message. We pray that God used his word in your life today. If you do not have a relationship with God, the Bible says you can as you turn from your sin, place your faith in Christ Jesus, his death for you on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, and surrender your life to Jesus as Lord. 
We'd like to invite you to join us for worship. You can find information about the times and locations for all of our gatherings on our website at lucybaptist.com. If you have any questions or if we can minister to you in any way, please call us at 901-872-0623 or email us at info at lucybaptist.com.